Welcome into the Warehouse, a show which covers the Baltimore Orioles and Major League Baseball. The Warehouse is part of BSL Radio. Baltimore Sports and Life is dedicated to analysis and discussion on the Orioles, Baltimore Ravens, and the University of Maryland. The site has a team of writers providing coverage of those teams and houses live streaming content weekly. Join the conversations at the message board, like BSL on Facebook, and follow BSL on Twitter. On Twitter. Welcome into the warehouse. It's another episode. We're back. I'm here with my colleagues, Bob Harkins and Matt Corey. Before I go to them, one second, uh, we'll have a word from our sponsor. And of course, that is Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. They're a third generation family business sat- established in 1959, located on Main Street in beautiful, historic downtown Westminster. They're the oldest floor covering store in Carroll County and one of Maryland's longest-running flooring businesses for all your flooring needs, Fink Mercer Floor and Home Carpet One. Uh, so, another week, guys. I uh, have some more articles around uh, the interwebs. Let's uh, take a look at them. Bob, uh, you know, two articles from Mass and Steve Molesky. We'll start with the first. Uh, he was talking about a possible John- Jonathan VR uh, reunion. Uh, VR could take over. Shortstop for a year would be, you know, in a year where it doesn't matter, it could be a competent stopgap, right? The name that's come up the most among Oriole fans is Freddie Galvis. VR can make as much sense as anybody for a year. What were your general thoughts on that? More more or less that, yeah. I mean, fine. With all these things, it always depends on what you're looking to spend, length and length of deal and, and how much. But if you can get him one year's and a – couple million or even like a minor league deal with an invite to spring training and you know sometimes they put in there you know if if you're not if you don't have a major league deal by a certain date you're cut loose and you're free to sign with someone else something like that depends on what kind of interest is out there i mean he had a i wouldn't put a whole lot in his 64 ops plus from last season spread across two teams and two clubhouses and only like about 200 plate appearances um but you know he was good at Camden, so yeah, he he really struggled in 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 twenty in that limited time in nineteen. He had a pretty quality offensive year. Uh, he is a guy that's prone to mental lapses, probably better defensively at second than he is at short. But as a quality arm, uh, there is some offensive pop there. Uh, and again, you know. <laughs> In the scheme of things, it really doesn't matter who the Orioles are going to run out there, but he's he could make as much sense as uh, as anybody else. But you know, interested to see if there's a possible reunion there, and uh, I think it probably would take a major league deal. That's kind of my sense, but you know, it's only going to be a one year deal, uh, no matter what. And yeah, Matt, let's see, you got thought there. Yeah, I, I was looking at at VR's career numbers and um, yeah. You know, 2020 represents a you know a problem for any analyst just just because of the the small sample size of it um but a lot of his batted ball data is very similar in 2022 most of his previous career um the two years that really stand out in opposition to most of his career were, were 2019 and um 2016 with the brewers um but throughout his career, he's been a guy who hits the ball on the ground an awful lot. Um, the two years he didn't hit the ball on the ground an awful lot are 
2019 and 2016. And then 2020, he went back to hitting the ball on the ground an awful lot. The other thing he does uh, or has done throughout his career, um, again, accepted in, in those two seasons, was uh, in, infield fly balls. Infield fly balls are pop-ups are, I mean, almost always outs. I think it's like 99% of the time they're outs or something like that. Maybe even more than that, 99 point. Um, and so, you, you know, you, you don't want to do that. <laughs> Hitting the ball in the air in the infield is, is a recipe for, for not being a major league player. And that went up. Um, you know, again, small sample size alert, but uh, that went back up to career norms in 2020. And um, so, I don't know. I, I, um, I sort of, you know, given where the Orioles are, it, it's probably fine. I wouldn't want to hand him the major league job. Like, I'd be fine to bring him into spring training and, you know, see what he's got. Sort of like Bob was talking about, give him a, you know, an invite. And then if he, you know, if he looks good or, or fits on the roster or whatever, then then maybe you give him a major league deal. But I don't, I don't think I'd want to give him that much. I I just don't think there's a ton there, and and the defensive concerns that you outlined, Chris, are 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 there as well. And so, uh, you know, it, if you're gonna give a guy a major league deal, you want him to be able to contribute in one uh, at least way. And I think it's possible he could contribute in several ways. It's also possible he's not going to contribute at all. And so it's that second one that that really kind of worries me. And um, so that's if they, if they had a if, if they had a, a younger internal player who had uh, a little bit higher profile, at least a, like a chance to really be a part of the future core. I might be more excited about that. Richie Martin would be the guy I'd be, I'd be most interested in. He missed all of 20. Uh, the Orioles had him as a rule five pick uh, in 19 and he was really overmatched to begin 19. And then you saw some progression as, as the year progressed uh, offensively. The defensive metrics available publicly hated him, but as pointed out by uh, Sig uh, Hall, uh, the Orioles assistant general manager, the publicly av- available defensive metrics at this point aren't really capturing what teams are seeing internally uh, based off of what they own have their own metrics. And part of that is uh, uh, defensive shifts from the eye test. I thought Martin was – an above average uh, defensive shortstop, you know, let's call him average ish somewhere between the available metrics, the eye test. Let's say he's average defensively at double a uh, before the Orioles obtained him at the double a level in 18, he had a really quality offensive year and he was a former first round pick. And there is some potential there, but missed all of 20. He's, I'm forgetting the exact age. He's a little bit older than than you ideally want. The Orioles seem pretty inclined to want him to go to AAA and have some regular time time there. Martin so is 26. Yeah. So you know, maybe a year or two above kind of where you'd like to see him, you know, potentially be breaking in. And uh, you know, uh Elias, Orioles general manager, he's definitely indicated a couple times that I, I think he's targeting Martin for AAA. So then it's like, do you have anybody else internally? There's Pat Malika, who um, showed some pop, good little utility guy this year, but I don't think they really want to have him every day at short. Um, 
Yeah, I agree. I don't think there's anybody on the roster. I, I think they're going to have to go get somebody and, you know, I mean, there's like Freddie Galvis. I mean, that could be a, be- right. that could be a better, uh, it could be a better option. And then there's, I mean, uh, I'm going to yeah, guess Chris that they're just going to wait and, you know, to see when the music stops and whoever doesn't have a seat is the guy they're going to grab. Yeah. That'll be the guy who's, who's the cheapest for it. Who, who, yeah. who will take that deal. And, uh, I mean, they have a couple of other young or shortstops, just completely glove guys in the system that you could throw out there, but my sense is they're going to have, they'll take Galvis or VR, whoever, whoever winds up yeah. still, still sitting there. Well, can we, uh, can we all agree on something that the, the starting shortstop for the 2021, 2021 Baltimore Orioles should be Taryn Vavra. <laughs> there you go. Yes. <laughs> Uh, I do wonder if not to elongate this too much, but I do wonder if you if you prioritize defense over offense if you're if you're going for a veteran stopgap and you have a young pitching staff, maybe. Well, I think well yeah, I, I, I mean, it makes sense in that in that way. Yeah, Galvis had the reputation of being the better glove, yeah. probably more sure than, than VR. Um, VR with a little bit of the position versatile versatility and and the organization knows what they're getting (laughs) in that regard. But I like the idea of of going with a glove guy, especially for younger, younger staff, but I, I haven't seen enough of Galvis to really have a great sense of, is he that much superior than VR? Is there, is there a real difference there? Uh, But if one, if one uh, measures out better than the other, then yeah, that, that would be the, uh, that would be my priority there. So yeah, I agree on that. I mean, they're they're sort of just in a waiting mode for either you know Phil shortstop via free agency after next year, mm-hmm. or uh, you know someone like um, uh, um, Gunnar Henderson, you know, or Jordan Westbrook shows up in a couple. Yep, of yep, that's that's exactly the uh, uh, the current placement. And if they really valued having just a glove for this coming year, then you figure they would have just kept Iglesias for uh, for. <laughs> Well, they got they got something for him, and I I'm assuming they can they think they can replace whatever Iglesias was going to give them in 21. Not the Iglesias of 20, because that was a sure. a better player on the field than I think you would expect. But but the guy that that would have showed up for spring training in 2021, I think they assume they can find that on the free agent market and at a low cost. And I don't think they're wrong. I, I think that's probably yeah. Clear. I mean, overall the evaluation there. I, I mean, you can. You can certainly live with if if they replace Iglesias with VR or Galvis, right? And and it's another projectable major league ish caliber uh, guy. And as you said, they're not expecting twenty Iglesias there. You're just expecting his what he's been for his career. But of the three, I think he had the profile still at this stage of his career. I think he he would definitely profile as the best glove out of that out of that mix. But of course they did get something in return and uh, the Orioles aren't trying to win games in, in, in 21. So it doesn't really matter. So, <laughs> so uh, we'll move on to the other Molesky article, which uh, was uh, taking a look at fastball spin rate. Uh, Matt, just uh, kind of initial thoughts there, of what you saw. Well, I, I think it's a great article. It's, you know, spin rate is one of those things that that sort of, you know, has entered the the public, uh, you know, baseball analytic lexicon, and I, it's something that 
you know, as, as learned fans, we kind of need to become conversant in maybe not down to, you know, the thousandth of, uh, you know, revolution per minute, but, um, but just what these things, you know, kind of mean. And, uh, and the one thing that really stood out to me in this article is, you know, because you hear about spin rate. So obviously, you know, more is better. That's sort of the way that works, right? Home runs, more is better. Batting average, more is better. Um, et cetera, et cetera, down the line. And so I sort of assumed that, you know, the higher your spin rate, the better. Um, but I don't know how to say this gentleman's name, the guy who wrote, uh, wrote the article. Yeah. Steve, Steve Molesky. Molesky. Um, he, uh, he did a good job of pointing out that it's really um, how far away you are from the norm or from the average in either direction where that makes, you know, and this is fastballs we're talking about here. Um, mm-hmm. That makes your, your fastball uh, effective. So, if if your fastball is has got a really high spin rate, then it's gonna it's gonna stay up in the zone. It's not gonna fall down as much as we, you would ex, uh, expect it. You being a batter, um, so it'll it'll quote unquote rise, even though it doesn't actually rise. It'll have that that uh, it'll look like that to the batter. Um, and conversely, if your fastball has a really low spin rate uh, relative to you know normal, then it's gonna it's gonna fall more. It's gonna be more like a sinker. Um, and he talked about an Oriole uh, pitcher in the article who uh, got a lot of ground balls last year, and his fastball is, uh, you know, is, is pretty low as far as spin rate goes. So uh, I think uh, it's, it's definitely a good article to, to check out because he does talk about some Orioles pitchers in relation to where, uh, you know, where they rank in, in terms of spin rate, and, um, and he gets into spin efficiency and, and other stuff like that um so it's it's a definitely an educational article to to check out hey bob i know you had some additional thoughts there yeah that's a i'm glad you touched on that matt because that was the important part of the article is that the number itself doesn't mean a whole lot individually the um like you said a higher spin rate on a four seam fastball it resists gravity so it's going to end up higher than the batter expects it to be when they're swinging at it. If you want a ball to sink, you want less spin. If you throw a knuckleball, you want zero spin. <laughs> um, and so I learned a little bit about this in 2019. Uh, my other podcast, I followed a minor league pitcher for the season and Cole Uvula, he's in the Rangers org and he's a driveline guy. And so part of one of the episodes I did was kind of on his connection to driveline. And I talked to Rob Hill of driveline who now works for the Dodgers. And I made him explain this stuff to me in a way that a moderately intelligent person could kind of understand. And it's kind of about the, how everything fits into the arsenal. So like Cole, he had a very much an over top, the top delivery. And the numbers showed that his fastball up in the zone was more effective than down in the zone. And so he was pairing a fastball with a like a mediocre slider. And he went to driveline and they said, you know what? You should pair a curveball with this fastball. The curve, the fastball stays up in the zone at a pretty high spin rate. You need a curveball and you need to keep, you talk about spin efficiency. With a curveball, that means the axis is kind of flat. So you're getting a straight 12 to 6 break or as close as possible to that. So it drops straight down really hard for the batter to adjust to 
a high spin rate fastball up in the zone with a high spin rate curveball with good efficiency down in the zone. So this is getting a little in the weeds, but but I thought it was really fascinating. And that's where they're doing a driveline in some of these other places. They're looking at more how the whole arsenal uh, fits together. And this guy, Cole, he ended up going to the Arizona Fall League, and he threw a curveball that had a almost a 3,400 RPMs uh, in that game. And he had another one that was just under 3,000. And that puts it in like 4% of big league curveballs for, for spin rate alone. Right. You know. But again, the number alone doesn't mean as much as the whole thing together. Yeah, that's uh, interesting. It, the, the more that I've read, it seems uh, there's a lot of the analytics pushing uh, for the fastball up in the zone, uh, and uh, which is kind of goes against kind of everything that I had ever heard, you know, right. with, with baseball for, you know, growing up. So I, I've been interested in that. But a lot of that, I believe, is the idea and to the entire repertoire, as you were talking about, Bob, and what windows you're p- pitching uh, 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 directly out of and making sure that each respective pitch you're coming out of the same same window but in, in different elevations. But uh, something interesting, Molesky in his article, he had talked to Alex Fast. I'm actually speaking with Alex tomorrow on uh, nice. on the Chris Turner podcast, so we'll continue that discussion uh, there. Uh, so well, I'll be listening uh, to that. I can't wait to hear yeah, it. Go listen. Thanks. Uh, Bob, uh, there was at the Orioles.com, uh, Joe Trezza took a few questions. What, ex- what to expect from the young O's in 21? That was kind of the lead question. A few others in there. Anything, uh, anything of note that you saw in, in that article, either Joe's uh, responses or the questions posed to him that were of interest to you? Yeah, a couple of things. One, I thought all the rotation stuff was really interesting. And in particular, the whole question that, and we've touched on this before as well, of how they're going to handle the young guy, the, you know, the young prospects who didn't really pitch last year, aside from inner squad stuff, you know, how many innings will they be comfortable giving these guys and how, if at all, that will Im- impact their progression. And that'll be interesting to watch. And um, the other thing that really drew my attention that, and Matt, you mentioned his name a second ago, Gunnar Henderson. If you read what what's in this article about Gunnar Henderson, Orioles fans, you're going to just be drooling. You're like 6'3", athletic, can play short, can play, apparently he can play center field, um, shows good signs of power. Sound, sounds like a guy really to look at who maybe hasn't been, you know, mentioned as much as some of the other top prospects. Yeah, getting a lot of love at uh at BSL with our our on the verge colleagues, uh, particularly, but also draft uh, uh, Dr. Stephen Loftus, uh, been hyped pretty good, but yeah, kind of still under the radar. And the good example of the uh, the athleticism that Elias and crew are adding to the organization a, a, as a whole. Uh, Matt, anything for you in that article that stood out? Uh, well, again, I, I think it's important to note that his name is Heston Kierstad, not, not Keston <laughs> Kierstad. Um, I, I actually that's didn't it. know that. Oh, go ahead, Bob. Oh, that's his burner account. <laughs> um, we'll see if, uh, if Twitter bans that one. Um, so 
<laughs> yeah. Anywho, I'm going to push past that if as much as I can. Um, <laughs> Sorry. I didn't, I didn't know that he was dealing with a medical issue. Um, so it's good to hear that he is expected to be healthy for spring training. The other um, thing, well, two things really, one is the rotation, you know, we talked about this, I think last podcast, but this is really going to be a, a major league rotation, you know, provided they don't get absolutely crushed with injuries. They've got four guys who I would expect to, you know, pitch somewhere around a major league average level, give or take. Um, and, and I think that that's promising and, uh, you know, and worth Orioles fans time this year, which is, you know, in contrast to maybe previous years. The other thing is I, I recently wrote about uh, Ryan Mountcastle um, for BSL. You can check that out on the site. And, um, the question was, uh, you know, can Mountcastle win rookie of the year? And, and I think he absolutely can. Um, you know, he's got, uh, an ability to hit the ball hard and, and that, you know, that, uh, translates, you know, I mean, we saw that last year, um, he got off to a hot start and he, he, uh, I don't want to say fell back to earth a little bit, but it, you know, he, he more or less maintained, you know, uh, his his batted ball data throughout the year he looked really good i thought um you know if he can stay in left field and um you know not get drawn out of the zone too much i think that's going to be the thing for him is he's he's a swinger and if he is going to swing at a lot of pitches out of the zone then you know we're going to see that hard contact data drop um there's going to be more swing and miss and i you know that's often the kind of thing that can happen for guys with his his kind of profile um so he's gonna have to learn to be a little bit more selective than he is i think i mean i was just going through some of the better hitters in baseball uh on you know last year last couple years on fan graphs and you just don't find guys with really low on base percentages they they just they just don't exist there's not a guy who's slugging 600 and you know got a 308 on base percentage or whatever it is that just doesn't happen um you know, you either start to learn selectivity, or or that the slugging percentage disappears because you're just swinging at pitches out of the zone that you that you can't hit anymore. Um, so I, I think it'll be a, a fun season to watch from Mountcastle, and and um, you know, so it'll it'll be that. And uh, you know, is he going to be the regular left fielder? I, I imagine Chris has more knowledge about that than me, but I I have to say I, I I'm I'm a little I don't know. I'm curious. I guess I'm I guess that's the way, the right way to put it. I'm curious to see if he can do it. I I'm. Not not sure he can, but but I'd like to uh, definitely like to see the 21 season end with with Ryan Mountcastle as the left fielder going forward. I think that would be really good for this organization. Yeah, I, I hope he's out of left field by June 1st myself. That, that, that's my, <laughs> my that's my where hope. Do you, where do you but, want him, Chris? Uh, I want him splitting time at first in DH, uh, 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 and uh, I just feel that. Because you don't think hope. he can play left, or or you think there's better guys coming? I up think it's a reach for him to be an average left fielder, and more importantly, I think you you're going to have three outfielders who are better than him. I I, I envision Diaz t- taking over left field once by June first, once the Orioles have gained an additional year of team control over over Diaz. I think Mountcastle will get regular at bats wherever he is, and my hope is. Uh, you know, it's first in DH. But to your overall point about his projection, I think it's very fair, at least in terms of what his ceiling will be if he, you know, in terms of plate discipline. I think he can be, I think he can be a productive 
800-ish OPS guy with his existing profile? Uh, and can he, if he can ever improve on the plate discipline, which is easier said than done, uh, uh, then, you know, he could be, he could be more than that, right. but if he's if he's an 800 OPS guy at first or DH, I know that uh, you know some people would want more than that. But if he's making nothing, if he's making nothing, <laughs> that can have a that can have plenty of value while you maintain the years of control there. Uh, so just the the last thought there would be is if. You start the year of him and left. If I'm right, Diaz takes over left June 1st. Uh, and Mancini has started the year as at first with uh, Stewart at DH. Then my hope would be uh, by, you know, once Diaz has come up, that the Orioles make a decision on. Mancini or Stewart with my expectation that the Orioles are probably going to extend Mancini. That's what, what, what I uh, foresee happening. Um, and one, one final note on Kirsten. I mentioned last week and I should state it here. I was wrong. I said that uh, it had been rumored that Kirsten had had uh, COVID. Uh, that was just conjecture. Uh, Bad conjecture on my part. It has been reported multiple times that it was not COVID that he had. It was some other non-stated health-related or potential health-related or some other issue that is ambiguous at this time. So uh, my fault there. Yeah. Uh, Let's see. Uh, Matt, another Matt, Matt Kremser. Kremser. Krebnitzer, my thought, uh, Matt K. Let's just call him another Matt. Yeah, he's another Matt K. Our Matt. And I have had him on the full-time job. (laughs) (laughs) I have had him on our podcast. He's done a lot of – he's worked for a lot of local sites. He's currently with uh, PressBox here locally. He wrote about uh, Santander. Uh, Just quick takes there uh, on, on what you saw. I mean, I think, you know, he was talking about what Santander has to do, uh, you know, to, to sort of step forward. I mean, his numbers last year are good. I mean, it, it's sort of funny. We I just talked about how you don't find guys with, you know, 600 slugging percentages and, and 300 on base percentages very often. And yet that's almost exactly what Santander did last year. Now, he did it in 37 games. So I think it's a lot easier to pull off something weird like that in 37 games than it is in 137 or, or whatever, you know, whatever you, you do, you get. But um, I, so I think, you know, he's got sort of two big challenges. One is that on-base percentage needs to keep going up. um, And the other is he needs to do that over, you know, over a longer stretch of, of time. I mean, you know, he hit a 20 homers in 2019, but he did it with a sub 300 on base percentage, just barely, but still. Um, and, you know, then then last year, um, you know, we, we, we get this sort of, I guess, it, impressive on the whole, but probably not repeatable over a long term kind of batting line. And so I, I'm curious to see what he's going to do over 162 games if, you know, if, if we're lucky enough to get that. Yeah, Bob, I think that's really the point, right? You just want to see, uh, you know, 21's a big year for him where he needs to stay in the lineup and uh, 
get a better sense of what he is over a, a full season, right? Yeah, I mean, we, we've we talked before about sample size and how a, you know, a good 30-game stretch can be followed by a bad 30-game stretch, and then you're right back to where your career numbers have been in the past. Um, 11 home runs in 37 games, and all of a sudden we're calling him Tony Taters, apparently. According <laughs> to the article, are we calling him Tony Taters? I'm not calling him that, no. I'm, sounds like a like a guy from The Godfather who only eats French fries. <laughs> I don't. Um, but I mean, joking aside, there's promise there. Yeah. It's just, it's just we need to see a little more. Yeah, it, it was, it was a nice story. Yeah. It's been a nice story overall. Another Rule yeah. Five pick. Uh, uh, there was projection when they got him, and and you've seen incremental. Uh, Increases in his game, and last year, I mean, uh, uh, there was even flashes with his glove and right, uh, but it was uh, – he looks like he could be a possible piece go- going forward, but it, you're going to have to have to see it over a longer uh, uh, number of games here here in uh, 21, and we'll have a better sense of, of what he is, you know, uh, probably at year end. Chris, does it strike you that the Orioles have, have a type? They, they have um, – they have a bunch of players who <laughs> power, low on base percentage, corner infielders and outfielders. No, they have a they have a glut, but I mean it's two different regimes. I mean Elias didn't pick bring over like Santander. Uh, but I, I just feel like we're we're they have they have a number of similar similar pieces, right? Yeah. right. But of course they didn't bring back uh, Nunez, and he was he was another yep. uh, another one in that. Uh, Vain, Gunner, um, yeah. <laughs> uh, so we'll go back to our site, BSL. Our colleague, uh, uh, Nick, he wrote an article, uh, Nick Stevens, he wrote an article continuing his series on the uh, 21 Orioles looking at the uh, bullpen. Um, uh, Matt, just uh, you know, what jumped out to you there? Well, I, th- I think, you know, we have, we have talked about the bullpen a little bit, um, you know, in, in previous episodes. And, and uh, I think that's one of the parts of the team that I can see legitimately being above average this year. Um, you know, they were above average last year. It, it was a short season. And then again, who the heck knows? But, um, you know, guys like, um, you know, uh, uh, wait, sorry, Hunter Harvey and, um, uh, and Tanner Scott, are two guys that I'm, I'm really interested to, uh, to see yeah. if Harvey can stay healthy. Um, I think those are, you know, those are above average back into the bullpen pieces that, uh, you know, that can really drive this, this bullpen. And, and that's, you know, to sort of piggyback on a point that, that Bob made about, um, you know, good, good defense. Um, I, you know, having a, having a good bullpen is, is going to really help these starting pitchers too. Um, you know, you're not going to get Brandon Hyde trying to push guys, you know, an extra out, an extra two outs, an extra inning, whatever, when you've got, you know, you can just take the ball from them and bring someone in who, you know, who can actually do the job. So I think that's, that's, uh, that's going to be a key, a key component. And, you know, you can sort of step back and, and look at the overall roster and you can start to see pieces coming into place. Um, you know, the bullpen's growing. It, I think it can, it can get better. We'll see what, it, what happens. Um, you know, and, and, uh, obviously the rotation is starting to take shape at least, 
you know, probably, you know, some younger pieces that can be there long-term, maybe, maybe back end, middle of the rotation pieces, but, you know, still people stepping in guys like Mount Castle, guys like Hayes in the outfield or potentially DH, who knows, <laughs> but um, I think that's, uh, that's kind of cool to see this, this team, um, you know, kind of uh, being assembled. Well, you start seeing pieces here and there that have at least the potential to be part of your next uh, quality team. And to Bob, to uh, add on the match point, you know, he mentioned uh, Scott and Harvey. And uh, I also like Tate, but, you know, those three particularly uh, out of the bullpen and same as Santander, it's important to see what they can do over another full full year. You, you saw, particularly with Scott, you saw some uh, leap uh, in, in 20 uh, uh, and Harvey, you know, he continues to battle injuries, but you do see the, you see the arm and the talent, but now it's do it over a course of a, a, a an entire season. Right. And, and what do you have? What are you? <laughs> right. Exactly. And, and, you know, Nick in these articles, he always has a lot of great information. He really goes deep on these guys he writes about and, uh, Tanner Scott was really interesting to my to me. A guy who throws hard, has a wipeout slider, and a fifty eight percent ground ball rate last year in that slow, um, you know, or short season. I mean, and uh, you know, he walks a few too many guys. But if you're getting lots of double play balls and striking out a lot of guys, then the walks maybe won't hurt you so much. But there was one detail or one part that he threw in there that Nick threw in his article. That I'm sorry, I need to know more about this. So help me out with this name, Chris Cole Sulcer, Sulcer, uh, Sulcer, uh, uh, yeah, Sulcer. Pitched last season with quote a number of broken toes. Yeah, <laughs> and then that's it. Were they his, or did he just like collect broken toes? How many is a number? Is it two? Is it ten? Which Those foot are numbers? Those are the push-up foot, the landing foot. I'm, so, I mean, I'm like, the, the interesting thing about, about Sulcer is uh, in the minors, he had very high uh, uh, K, K rates per innings. Uh, and uh, he was being used in high leverage situations pretty quickly uh, last, last year where Hyde had just had some confidence in him. And uh, some went his way and some did not. And then he kind of fell, you know, just fell apart. But uh, to me, I didn't know there was something wrong with him, but I just I was wondering, you know, I never saw him pitch in the minors, but I was wondering where is the. I was expecting a little bit more power out of out of the arm, and maybe maybe that was related for not being able to plant directly, yeah. you know. But uh, or why you know, walk seventeen guys in twenty two and two thirds innings? I can see yeah. why now. Right. Yeah. Uh, I mean, but that's, I guess that's some guy that, you know, he was an older, uh, older guy in the minors, finally getting a shot in, in the, in the bigs and you're going to do anything you can to, uh, at that point, yeah. stick, uh, stick in the bigs uh, and take advantage of that opportunity, which, so maybe he'll come to spring training, be healthy, and maybe he'll have another opportunity to, to work his way way into the pen but the bigger thing what i noticed in nick's article is there's a depth of guys that that are uh plausible co uh, contributors the other thing i would mention is that the, the orioles have a number of guys that we've talked about uh in that 
six to ten projected spots in the rotation. Most of them are going to go to the AAA rotation, but a couple of those guys during the year could also wind up being back-end relievers. Uh, that, that could give you some additional uh, – Innings, and if you're helping a younger, uh, younger staff, guys that could go more than an inning or two, and could add some, uh, add some length. So, yeah, pretty excited uh, there overall. I think that's one of the areas to be uh, pretty excited about as you know, looking at the 21 uh, roster. Sulcer was mentioned in uh, in the article about spin rate also as having one of the best spin rates uh, on his fastball in in the major leagues. Um, so there you are. Yeah, uh, yeah, something there. I mean, uh, it, maybe uh, that directly accounts for well, why you put up so many Ks at the at the minor league level. It just gives an indication that there is some arm talent there. Or maybe uh, it's all due to broken toes. All broken toes, yes. Yeah, you're gonna start a trend now of people breaking their toes. That's right, yeah. <laughs> We'll move on from the O's. We'll find. Oh, we'll finish up with some uh, major league news. Uh, CBS Sports. They had a uh, hot stove article, and they were talking about the National League landscape, which we kind of uh, glossed over last week as well. So, uh, Mets, Padres joining the Dodgers and the Braves in that top tier. Bob, uh, you know, just as a baseball fan in general. Uh, the National League looks pretty exciting at this point in, in terms of at least uh, uh, the quality of the top. Yeah, um, very really top-heavy with some potential depth in the middle of the league as well. I mean, you've got the reigning champ Dodgers are working to rebuild their bullpen. They're probably going to re-sign Justin Turner. I don't know where why he would go anywhere else. He's an L.A. guy. Um You've got the Braves, who probably should have beaten the Dodgers in the NLCS last year. They've got a few things to address, like like their bullpen and their outfield maybe, but they're going to be good. The Padres are already good, and then you know, we know what they did. And then the Mets are being extremely aggressive. And uh, Lindor, Carrasco, and probably a center fielder too, like a George Springer or Jackie Bradley Jr. maybe, um, come in. So... That's some good teams. I, I mean, I think the interesting thing to me is going to be which division is going to be better, the West or the East, because the Central is not going to be the best. Um, you've got some secondary teams that could be pretty good, too. The Giants could be pretty good, especially if they had a pitcher. Um, they just signed and, Alex Wood. There you go. And there's a really good, versatile, underrated arm. If You you might have to watch his innings you know, with some, some injury history, but Good player. Um, if, he, well, if, he, if he stayed healthy, he could actually be – he could be productive. But Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, yeah, it's it's the top league right now, at least on paper, and looks like it's got some good depth to it. Yeah, and, you know, my American League bias will show. I don't – I can't think of many times over the last 25 years where I felt like the National League was stronger – uh, uh, but right now, I think it categor- categorically looks uh, looks better, at least at the top. Matt, uh, of the uh, of those top four teams right now, uh, who do you like least, and uh, who do you think, and what do you think they would need to do to uh, vault themselves up to the top there, uh, or you know, uh, so. 
I mean, just really yeah, the, the, the Braves. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Yeah, I, I was gonna say probably figuring the, uh, the Dodgers and, and Padres right now. They they look like the best. Maybe the Mets have a little bit more to go, uh, and and the Braves, you know, kind of right there as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm I'm curious to see what the Mets are gonna do. I mean, they they need a center fielder. Um, you know, getting George Springer would be pretty impressive. Um, you know. Jackie Bradley is out there as well. You know, obviously not not the hitter Springer is, but a better defender. Um, one of the big things that that I think is is going to move the needle, uh, you know, is is Mike Soroka's health. If if he's you know in in the Braves rotation and you know pitching whatever it is, 180 innings um, and and ready for the playoffs, then then that's a that's a pretty powerful uh, you know starting rotation. Uh, if he's not, things get you know, a little, a little weaker and you have to wonder if they can stand up to a team like the Dodgers or the team, a team like the Padres. Um, yeah. I don't know. There's something about the Mets that I don't totally trust, you know, they yeah, you got to see, see it first. Right. I mean, yeah, first. I don't know. I mean, yeah. The, Lindor was not good last year and, you know, and who cares? It's 2020. Um, a bunch of star players had down seasons. They, if you want to know who they were, they were all on my fantasy team. Um, but, uh, I, I would expect the Mets would be better just just because they have Carrasco and Lindor and and uh, you know they're they're making making other moves as well. But um, there's they're they're still the lull Mets and, and, until they're not you know and uh, I I want to see them uh, play some good baseball. They they've got some some good starting pitchers too. Is Syndergaard going to be back? He's he's he should be healthy this year, right? I believe at some point, yeah. Uh, I. Uh, so I'm not sure when. Yeah. yeah. I thought he was back. So uh, we'll wrap it up with that. Appreciate you guys uh, joining as always. Uh, catch Matt's latest article on Ryan Mapcastle at the site. Uh, join the discussions at BaltimoreSportsAndLife.com and uh, come you know, talk on the board as well. Uh, for Bob and for Matt, thanks for joining us. Talk again uh, next week.